The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter. The Gospel is printed on the back of your bulletin, or you can follow along in your pew Bibles on 787. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Word of God, word of life. You may be seated. The preaching text today comes to us from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And this is from the Common English Bible Translation. So if you'd like to follow along, it's printed here on the bulletin. Uh, and you won't find the same words in your pew Bible. So what are we going to say? Should we continue sinning so grace will multiply? Absolutely not. All of us died to sin. How can we still live in it? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. This is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we won't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once and for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you also should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. So then, don't let sin rule your body so that you do what it wants. Don't offer parts of your body to sin to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, present yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do right. Sin will have no power over you because you aren't under law, but under grace. Word of God, word of life. Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Last week we heard a good word from Pastor Nate about trading the if word for the word since. Since we have been made righteous through Christ's faithfulness, we don't have to worry about proving ourselves to God or to anyone else. Grace transforms us away from a world where we have to compete for love and favor into a world where favor has already been granted and there is an abundance of love to share. Today's section of Paul's letter to the Romans unpacks that even further. But to really get the full picture, we need to back up for a few verses. The last verses of chapter 5 set the stage. Paul is talking about Adam in the Garden of Eden and also of Jesus. One is a model of sin, Adam, 
and the other, Jesus, is the model of righteousness. So here are those last verses of chapter 5 from the Common English Bible translation. So now the righteous requirements necessary for life are met for everyone through the righteous act of one person, just as judgment fell on everyone through the failure of one person. Many people were made righteous through the obedience of one person, just as many people were made sinners through the disobedience of one person. The law stepped in to amplify the failure, but where sin increased, grace multiplied even more. The result is that grace will rule through God's righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, just as sin ruled in death. So then Paul asks with those opening lines of our gospel for today, or our preaching text, excuse me, are we going to continue sinning so grace will multiply? The reading says, absolutely not. But Paul's original Greek is even stronger, something akin to heck no, except you can substitute a different word. <laughs> I don't like to swear in the pulpit. The message translation says it this way. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. Paul wants us to remember our baptisms, to remember that we belong to this new life and this new land. And when Christians are told to remember our baptism, sometimes we think about that particular day when we stood around the font with our parents and our godparents and the water was poured on our head or we think about the pictures taken of that day. But Paul doesn't just want us to remember those details. Paul really wants us to remember who we are. We have died to sin, and now we live a new life of, in Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, remember your baptism, he's really trying to say, be who you are. Remember who you belong to. In North America, we are enamored with our own individualism. And we proudly claim that we are self-made and we have pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we don't owe anything to anyone. But to Paul and his readers, that doesn't make any sense. Because everyone belongs to someone or something. And as Christians, we believe that too. Everyone is a servant or slave to someone or something. Before baptism, we were slaves to sin. And after baptism, we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It is a puzzle, an inescapable puzzle of the Christian faith that when we are truly servants, we are truly free as long as we are servants of God. When we are servants to sin, or the things that sin produces, envy, greed, and ambition, we are not free at all. Remember, we are living in that since world, 
Since we have been made righteous, since we are baptized, we have received this newness of life already. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work towards it. We don't have to wait for it as a someday reward. This new land is ours now. We live there. It's where our houses are built. So let's act like it. We have the power in our everyday life to live in ways that are faithful to God. And those are spelled out for us in our baptismal promises. Living among God's faithful people. Hearing the word of God and sharing in the Lord's Supper. Proclaiming the good news of Christ in word and deed. Serving all people, following the example of Jesus. Striving for justice and peace in all the world. These promises, along with Paul's words in his letter, remind us that our call is to pay attention to where sin still rules, and then be the resistance against that sin. It is the grace of this new land that empowers us to act boldly to resist that sin that remains an ongoing threat in our world. And I'm not just talking about the bad things that we do, like breaking those arbitrary rules about what it looks like to be a good Christian in that keeping up appearances kind of way. I'm not really even talking about breaking the rules like our gingerbread man did in the book today. I'm talking about making a choice every day, every moment, every hour to live in the newness of life that comes from baptism. Taking on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and living that out in our choices. Now, I understand that this is really easy to say and much more difficult to do in real life. But I also know that the abundant life that I long for has shown up when I take living in my baptismal promises seriously. When the women's discipleship group took up the discipline of fasting this past Lent, I was very hesitant. But it has changed my life, and it has changed the lives of others in our community. Those practices forced me to pay attention to the sinfulness that I was participating in and turn again toward new life for me and for the world around me. We fasted together from overconsumption through cleaning out our closets, counting the food items in our kitchens, deliberate and intentional sharing of our excess clothes and household items, and taking note of how much we throw away. The ripples of this have been astounding. Many of us are buying less, reusing more, and sharing more readily. It seems like a lot of small changes, and how in the world could this ever add up to anything that will change the world? Does that really look like resisting sin or living in our baptismal promises? But all of us making small changes together adds up to a whole lot of change. And while for the women in the discipleship group, while our cupboards and closets might be emptier, the real change in our lives was that now we are paying attention to how our choices give life, how our choices participate in the newness of life that God has given. 
And now we are paying attention to how our choices might give life or continue to oppress, continue to perpetuate sin against our neighbors and our earth. It's a simple example, right, of cleaning out closets and how much plastic we use, but it has real consequences. We don't always get it right, and we still don't. But that's good news too, because living in this new land of new life is a cycle of practice. We try something, we mess it up, we make a change, and then we try again. Instead of focusing on where we fall short, like we do when we're focused only on the sin, grace gives us the opportunity to learn and try again in a new way. So I invite you this morning to throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time into God's way of doing things because you have been raised from the dead. Sin cannot tell you how to live anymore because you are not living under that old tyranny anymore. You are living in the freedom of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.